He's just taught us uh, in the scriptures, in their incredible little stories, and, and just incredible ways to teach us about the kingdom. You see, parables are these stories that um, cast alongside something else. They tell us something and cast alongside something else. So some would say that a parable is a... Um, is it casting alongside a truth in order to illustrate a truth. Jesus' parables were teaching aids and can be thought of as extended analogies or inspired comparisons to the truth. They're earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And we want to wrestle through some of these stories found in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to to Luke's gospel, you can do that if you need a Bible. There's some in front of you. If you follow along on your phone, feel free to open up your uh, your electronic device to follow along. Luke's gospel. And there are several parables that Jesus taught. And we are going to part- look at five over the course of July. There are five weeks and we're going to kind of group them and look at them. And maybe some weeks we'll get multiple parables at once. But we're going to look at in this series the parables about hearing, seeking, and growing. We're going to look at parables that talk about prayer, parables that look at the eschatology, parables that look at loss and redemption, and this morning we're going to look at a parable that talks about love and forgiveness, and very heavy on the first part, the side of love. We want to wrestle through this this morning. The parable that we're looking at this morning, Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now... Understanding context for a second, that phrase, Good Samaritan, is kind of like a, for the Jewish culture, it's kind of like an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp. Um, Good Samaritan, it was this kind of this, how could a Samaritan be good? Because there was this tension that was at play. But this parable, as we read in our story, in our scriptures, as we read with the titles in some of our passages, and as we've known for years, taught in Sunday school, or maybe... You've read it, maybe you've heard it, maybe you've listened to pastors talk about it several times. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now to truly grasp the concept of what Jesus was teaching in this truth, we have to back up. So we're not just going to start where the parable starts. I think it's in verse 30. We're going to look back to verse 25 through 29 because it gives us context of what this parable really means, how it really plays out. How we can really understand where Jesus was going in this story, in this parallel of a truth, to be able to grasp the context in which he was speaking. The parable of the Good Samaritan, in a very simple statement, the parable of a Good Samaritan, of the Good Samaritan, was the individual that chose to offer aid to somebody who he didn't have to. I was reading in the news last night, and I was actually kind of shocked as I read this story. But I was reading in the news on the CTV app, I started talking about this, and the title was, Softball Team uh, Captures Man Who Sexually Assaulted Woman. And I play softball, so I was kind of intrigued by the title, and I I opened it up to read it. And this is a story that came out, and it was in uh, a small town just uh, outside of Montreal in Quebec. It said it all started Wednesday evening when softball players at a park heard screams coming from a washroom on the grounds. We all started walking towards the bathroom. As soon as we did that, we saw a middle-aged man come running out 
of the bathroom, pulling his pants up, one of the softball players told CTV Montreal. According to this player, a teenage girl then came rushing out of the washroom. Another player immediately gave chase, hopping a fence to catch up with the man. According to the the one who chased him. I just kind of grabbed him. Turned him and put him against a car. And by that time, 20 other people were right behind me. The players restrained the man until police arrived and arrested him. The police confirmed that they had... that they investigated an incident involving a teenage girl and that the man in his 30s was arrested. And the baseball player said this, softball player, just a regular, normal guy playing baseball, said, I have a little sister. We all have little sisters. And we wouldn't want that to happen to anyone. The town council plans to honor the softball players at their next game on Wednesday. A great story of a good Samaritan. Sees a problem. Goes out of his way. I mean, I wonder if it happened in the middle of the game. If they stopped playing. They didn't go into... I mean, I, I don't, we don't know all the context. But this is, this is a story. Real life of someone willing to do something for someone who he has no idea who they are. Yet he's going to make sure that he chases down that person that was causing problem for somebody else. See, Jesus teaches this story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read it this morning and, and, and begin to wrestle through it and look at it just a little bit in context. Luke chapter 10 verse 25 starts this way. One day an, import, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. So here he is, this expert who knows the law and the stuff going on that we we have to understand that Jesus has been teaching, Jesus has been doing these miracles and they're trying to trap him, they're trying to get him in trouble. They're trying to discredit who he is because they they don't believe what he says. So they're trying to discredit him. He says, so this expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? What must I do... To receive eternal life. And Jesus replied. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your soul and all your strength. And all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right Jesus told them. Told him. Do this and you will live. Well the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus. And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor anyways? Who who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with an illustration, with a parable, with this story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance... A Jewish priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant, or a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then, a despised Samaritan 
came along. And when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. Then he put then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If his bills run higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Jesus then says, now, which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the, the, one, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So, let's just catch this story. There's an expert in the law, who's trying to trap Jesus. And he's trying to understand. He's trying to get him caught in this trap. So he asks him this question, which Jesus then answers. And then he asks another question, which Jesus then answers again and gives this incredible story of the Good Samaritan. Well, what do we do with that? What does that mean for us? How do we wrestle through that? Here and now and today. And here's what I want to do. As we look at this story that Jesus told. I want to start here. That there are two questions. There are two questions. Big questions. That this expert in the law asks. And I think that we can kind of wrestle through them a little bit. Just to help us to move into this story. To understand the picture of love. He says there's two. So there's these two big questions. This is this question that starts off. He says what do I do to receive eternal life? How do I receive eternal life? How do I receive it? He wants to know. And he's trying to trap Jesus here into saying something. So he says these, this powerful question. So what do I do to receive eternal life? Teacher, he looks at Jesus and he says, this one day the expert of the religious law stood up and says, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking this question. He's testing him. He's trying to get this answer back. And what Jesus does so incredible in so many stories we see in Scripture is that he he turns the question back to the individual. And he forces the individual to reply and to give the answer and the response. So Jesus takes this first big question. What do I do? Or what what should I do to inherit eternal life? And then he counters back as he looks at him and he answers with a question. So Jesus answers the question with a question. Oh, I love it. I hate when people do it to me. But I love it. Jesus answers with a question. I do it often with my kids. They ask me a question, and I ask them a question, answer them back with a question because I know they know the answer, and I want them just to say it. See, see, this this young expert in the law knew what he was talking about. So he asked Jesus with this test, and Jesus answers with a question. When he says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So catch this here. Jesus looks back to this expert and he counters the question to invite the expert's personal interpretation. 
right? The expert of the law was trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus knew. So he says, well, what does the law of Moses say? And how do you interpret it? So he's turning the question back and he's receiving this input back from the expert to give this personal interpretation. And the expert says to Jesus... You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, he counters with this personal interpretation as he asks this question. He brings it back to this personal interpretation. And his answer, the expert quotes from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and Leviticus 19, 18. You see, he correctly understood that the law demanded total devotion to God and love for one's neighbor. He understood all of this, yet he was still trying to trap Jesus. He understood that to love God in this way, according to the law, was to fulfill completely all the commandments regarding one's uh, commandments regarding one's the, the commandments regarding one to God, which is this vertical relationship, and then the commandment to love others which is this horizontal relationship and he understood that and he grasped that and he was able to speak that back to Jesus but he speaks it back in this personal interpretation a person cannot maintain a good vertical relationship with God without also caring for his or her neighbor And the word neighbor refers to human beings in general, all people. It's this big picture. It's not just literally the person who lives next to you. Although there was this perception that it just meant the people who I liked. Those were my neighbors. So you know the neighbor I had growing up who would get mad at me for playing baseball in our front yard because maybe the ball would touch his grass. And then when the ball would touch his grass, I'd have to walk and get it. And then my feet would touch his grass. Oh boy. He's still my neighbor. So he counters this back with this question. So what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? As the man answers with this truth from the the law, Jesus Jesus then looks at him and he says, with a simple instruction. He looks at him and I love it. It's just a simple instruction. Right. Do this and you will live. Right. Do this, Jesus said, and you will live. What is this? This is love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. I mean, very simple, right? Very simple. It sounds simple, yet in reality... By the law, these commands are impossible to keep in our own human strength. They're impossible to keep in our own human strength. This would be the lifestyle of kingdom people. That we would love God and we would love others. We'd love God with everything that we have. That we would love others with everything that we had. We talked about it last week, being the church that seeks God, that loves God, and that reaches into our community and loves our neighbors. And it's impossible to keep these commands in our own human strength. That we need Holy Spirit to help us. 
So the simple instruction, yeah, it is simple. Do this and you will live. But it's the picture of what the kingdom looks like. That we love God. We love others. And we're, we're, we're led by the Spirit because the Spirit is giving us the ability because we can't keep these commands on our own. Instead, you'd be saved and then enabled by the Holy Spirit to obey these impossible demands. And Jesus would begin to show this man more as he unfolds the story. See, the expert of the law would not leave the encounter there. He wanted to justify his actions. Well, I don't like my neighbor who, uh, who you know, who... who doesn't ever cut their grass and who doesn't ever talk to me and who's really like so i'm going to skip that as my neighbor i don't like this person they don't look like me talk like me or act like me thank goodness they're not my neighbor right he wanted to justify his actions It's unclear whether he wanted to justify the question he had asked by asking the teacher to delve deeper into the topic or whether he wanted Jesus to give him a specific answer of how to fulfill the question. So he pressed Jesus a little further and he asked that second question that says this. Who is my neighbor. Okay. So I'm supposed to love God. I know who God is. And I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Okay. Justifying himself. Who's my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Have, have you ever wondered that question yourself? Or maybe have you ever made your own thought process of who your neighbor actually is? Who's my neighbor? This expert in the law attempts to ask Jesus, who's my neighbor? Because he wanted, as the scripture says, to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor anyways? Who is, who's my neighbor? Please tell me who my neighbor is so I can understand. Man, if he only grew up when I grew up, he'd understand that uh, everybody's your neighbor. You know, won't you be my neighbor? Anybody remember that song? Come on. I know you do. Oh, man. Oh, it, I'm trying to remember the... It, that's it, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be my neighbor? Cardigan fast. Okay, anyways. Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who's my... Okay, so, so who, is, who, is my, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered. Guess how he answered? Jesus answers with a story and then a question. Oh. Here we go again. A story to tell the picture and then the question. So, so who's my neighbor? He wants to know. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers with a story, which is what we just read, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then at the end, he asks this profound question when he says, and which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Which of these three? You have, the, uh, you have three. You have the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Which would you say? of these three, was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits. Now this here totally destroyed the expert's thought process on the fact that the neighbor was a person who was like them, or the neighbor was someone who they liked, because it was the Samaritan who was the neighbor. As he goes on to say, 
sorry, I hit the wrong button. As he goes on to say, Jesus asked the man, and the man replied, the one who showed him mercy, the one who showed him mercy, which is the Samaritan, which means it was nothing like the Jew who was laying on the ground, who was attacked by bandits. They had nothing in common. The person who it should have been should have been probably the priest or the Levite, not the Samaritan. So it's destroying this picture that the, that the neighbor is whomever you choose, that the neighbor is all people outside of who you think should be your neighbor. We're all neighbors and we need to love all people regardless of what they, uh, who they are or where they live or how they act, that we're to love people. I find it fascinating because the expert had to say the one, the one, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't say the Samaritan. It was kind of like, the, I can't speak that word. It's like the one, the one who showed him mercy. That's, that's the one who was the neighbor. So after he gives the instruction, after he tells the story, after he asks the question, after he gets the response that says it's the one who showed him mercy. Look at how Jesus replies. Uh, let me guess. It's a simple instruction. Here we go again. Another simple instruction. Yes. That's the one. Now go and do the same. Imagine that. Who's, okay, so, so who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this incredible story to paint the picture. And he says, now, which one of them was the neighbor to the one who was attacked by bandits? He says, it was, he can't say the Samaritan, but he says it's the Samaritan, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes, you are right. Now that you know this, go and do the same. What does that mean? That means now that you know that your neighbor is all people, now go and do the same Care and love all people. Being led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus answers these two big questions. With two questions and two simple instructions. To give us a picture of how the kingdom should operate. We should love God with all our heart, with all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. And love our neighbors, love all people as ourselves. Led, directed, inspired, empowered by Holy Spirit. So, let's break down this story then. Jesus does not focus on the object of neighborly love, the Jewish victim, but on the subject. The Samaritan who made himself a neighbor. This reversal of the expert's question, which was who is my neighbor to now being who are you a neighbor to, provides in itself the key meaning of the parable and to Jesus' teaching on love, which is where I want to look at in this last few moments we have, is the picture of love for others. That we got to stop looking at the object the who and start looking at the subject the me how do i love others not who do i love not who is my neighbor but how can i be a neighbor make that transition make that shift make that thought uh, adjustment to not 
how do I love or who is my neighbor, but that, that how am I loving and who am I being a neighbor to. This picture of love makes this, this transition that love should not be limited by worth, but based on need. It should not be limited by worth. Worth, that, that the individual, who it is. It should not be based on worth, that, that, that we value someone else more than we value another person. That as we see someone in need, we think, oh, you know, I don't really like them, so that their, their worth to me in terms of relationship is, is, is non-existent, so I'm not going to help them. But I'm not looking at it based on worth. I'm looking at it based on need. There's someone who needs needs to know Jesus, needs to know love, needs to experience just a friend that I'm going to love others. Jesus, in, in the parable, sits, replied with this story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. And he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was like a horrible path to journey through, that there were lots of hills and spaces where people could hide, bandits could hide to attack those who were walking, and especially when they were walking by themselves, they became more vulnerable, and as they're making this journey, this man's making this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, through the hills, and he's being, he gets attacked by bandits, they take everything that he has, they strip him down, they, they take all his money, they beat him, basically to the point where he is almost dead. There's a need. There's a need. And yet, as we, read this, as we read the story and as Jesus tells us, there's two people who pass by him. There's, there's the priest, the one who served in the temple, whose highest duty was to offer sacrifices. That he was leaving, most would say, leaving from the temple, heading back. So he wasn't on journey to this religious duty. But as he walked past, he sees this individual and he looks at the worth and he steps aside. He says, I can't love or care for him. Because if I touch someone who is possibly dead, it could be like, I can't do it. It's against the law. And, he's, and he values it based on worth. As he looks at that individual, he doesn't know them. He doesn't care for them. He doesn't assign worth in relationship or anything like that. He, in fact, looks at it and says, it could be damaging to me. So I'm going to stay way over here, away from it. That he's not actually showing love for his neighbor. Then Jesus said, the Levite comes by. And the Levites assisted in the maintenance of the temple services in order. And it says that, they, that he kind of got a little close and bent down and looked. Thought, that's not my family, friends, or anyone I know. I'm going to keep going away. It's an inconvenience for me. So they begin to base love on the worth, whether it's the relationship, whether it's the who I know, whether it's if I even care about them instead of the need, which is yeah, this man laying on the ground, desperate. Now, imagine, let's just roll this back to the, the, the first story I told you from the news. Imagine if the baseball team says, hey, any of you got sisters that are out, out watching the game? No, no, okay, we'll let them go. Seriously, just hold on for a second. All of us would go, how could you do that? But this is what Jesus is saying is happening. There's a need, a serious need, and yet these individuals look at the worth, not the need, and they say, I don't know them, I don't care, so they go someplace else walk away from them. Both of these servants of God saw the man lying there, but both passed by without helping. 
Perhaps it was concern over defilement, for a Jew would become unclean if he came into contact with a dead body. This would render him unable to worship, yet the men on the road may have, because the man on the road may have appeared to be dead, so they didn't want to risk it. Either way, however you want to look at it, they deliberately chose to refuse to help. Then Jesus transitions the story. He says, but the Samaritan, in fact, the despised Samaritan, doesn't look at worth, shows love based on need. You see, our love for others is to be driven not by worth of the recipient, but the need. Not by worth, but the need. The next thing that we begin to see unfold is that as Jesus says this, tells this parable, he says that, that um, love is demonstrated in our actions. Love is demonstrated in our actions. Oh, man, we love everybody, but we don't ever demonstrate that. I mean, just simply think about it from the context of of your your relationship with your your wife or your husband. I love my husband. I love my wife. But I don't ever show that. I don't ever honor her, care for her. But I love her. Love is demonstrated in our actions. Then, Jesus said, then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, when he saw the man, he saw the need, he felt compassion for him. He felt compassion. He felt compassion for this man that was laying dead, half dead, almost dead, really dead on the side of the road. He had compassion and it says going over to him. He went over to him to help him. He had this compassion, this love and it was seen in his actions. Man, it would have been shocking for Jesus to have told people that this man was helped by just an ordinary man. But it is even more shocking that he tells them that this Jewish man was helped by a Samaritan. There was this mutual hatred between Jews and Samaritans. They would have probably pictured the story going more like this. And the Samaritan walked over to him, bent down and finished the guy off. That's how they would have been anticipating this story to happen. But Jesus says no. He had compassion. He had love in action. He had this compassion as he went over to this man who was laying on the ground. He didn't care who it was. He didn't care what the worth was. He didn't care the relationship, if it even existed or not. There was this sense that there's a need and I have this huge compassion and I'm going to show love in action. The word compassion could be understood as the equivalent of this uh, deep, this deep... pain within this this gut feeling you could call it a gut feeling is one that comes from the deepest part of who we are you know when we have that gut feeling that you can't walk away from a situation that you just got to turn around and go back that you you know i was driving up highway 11 and someone was on the shoulder of the road on the opposite side changing their tires and as i drove past i went oh i should turn around and stop and make sure and i 
turned around at the next uh, corner and I went back to pull over only to be told, no, I'm good, get out of here. And I was like, okay, and away I went. But I had this gut feeling that I had to stop. You know, we have that feeling that you have that compassion, that you need to do something and you have to just do it. It's that gut feeling. That's the compassion that this man felt as he walked past. He's like, I gotta do something. I can't walk by. I need to love in action this individual. So I'm going to go over to him. Love in action action. Love is demonstrated in our action. When the Samaritan looked at the man suffering, laying half dead on the side of the road, something happened inside and he said, I have to help. Jesus is painting this picture for us of how we love others, how we are neighbors to others. There is no logical reason for the Samaritan to rearrange his plans, to spend his money to help the enemy. There was no logical reason. But Jesus is painting a bigger picture here for us. That we're to love, we're to love, we're to love our neighbors. We're to love our neighbors. We're to show them the love of God. And we're to love our neighbors. And love is demonstrated in our actions. You see, love, love is not, should not be limited by worth, but based on need. Love is demonstrated in our actions and love may be costly ow it's it may be costly it may be costly i mean for me to turn around on highway 11 took me two minutes but it may be costly it may cost you time may cost you more may cost you more time and and more energy going over scripture says to him the samaritan the samaritan soothed his wounds He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Meaning he, you know, we would use like peroxide and uh, antiseptic wash now. He soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them, probably using pieces of his clothing to bandage the wounds. Going over him, the Samaritan made the choice as he felt compassion. He went over to him and he, he soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put him on his own donkey. So instead of riding, he put the the, the man on his own donkey and he walked beside it and took him to an inn. He didn't just leave him there, he says, where he took care of him. This is time and energy. This is costing him something. He took him to the inn and he took care of him. And then it says, the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So he says, here you go. This is, we're going to bandage up these wounds. We're going to take care of them right here. He picks them up, puts them on his donkey, walks beside the donkey as he makes his way into Jericho more than likely. And he put him up for a place to stay. And he stayed with him and he took care of him. He paid the money in the morning. He says, if it's more than this, I'll pay more next time I come back. You see, love may be costly. This cost the Samaritan a great deal. One, it cost him his time. He stopped what he was doing. Where was he going? We don't know. But he had a place where he was going to. And he stopped. And he spent basically an entire day caring for this individual who two other people walked by and didn't care for. 
It cost him pieces of his own clothing to make bandages more than likely. He used his own wine and his own olive oil to soothe the wounds. He put him on his own donkey. He paid the innkeeper out of his own pocket. And he spent time with him. How do we love our neighbors? We spend time. It may cost us something. It may not just cost us dollars and cents, but it may cost us time and energy. It may cost us a detour on our plans. But when we have compassion, that gut feeling, that deep compassion, that depth within us to say, I need to, then we begin to reach out. And it may be costly. You see, to truly love people, it may cost you stuff, money, time. Love, love should not be limited by worth, but based on need. Love is demonstrated in our actions. Love may be costly and lastly, Our love for others demonstrates our relationship with God. Our love for others demonstrates our relationship for God. How we love others is a connection to how we love God. Because Jesus challenges us and tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What are the great, what's the greatest commandment? Remember last week we talked about as a church, great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will build a great church. But when we make a commitment individually, it demonstrates our relationship to God. We have to, when we love God, we have to love others because of how much He loves us. Now which of these, now which of these, Jesus says, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits. Which of these three? Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? You see, Jesus is painting this big picture here. The, 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 the experts trying to trap him and trying to ask questions. Jesus count, counters with questions, which leads us to understand that our love, that our love needs to be a love for God, which is vertical, and a love for people, which is horizontal, which is a love for all people, neighbors. Who's my neighbor? All people are our neighbor. Because love, love should not be limited by worth, but based on need. Love is demonstrated in our actions. Love may be costly, And our love for others, sorry, our love for others demonstrates our relationship with God. This morning I'll close with this. Worship team, if you want to come. You see that Jesus, Jesus was asked this question, who is my neighbor? And he kind of flips it to say, who am I a neighbor to? Which one of these was a neighbor to? So who am I a neighbor to? 
So here's the question I want to end with. What kind of neighbor are you? What kind of neighbor are you? Are you a neighbor who, who loves people or has a, a defined of who your neighbor is? Or you love all people? And I know we all want to say, I love all people, but this is a personal question. And you've got to answer it for yourself. I've got to answer it for myself too. What kind of neighbor am I? Am I a neighbor who looks at need based on, looks at, looks at uh, love based on worth? Or am I a neighbor who looks at love based on need? Do my actions show love? Or do my actions show it's all about me? Am I willing to pay a price to love my neighbor? What kind of neighbor am I? What kind of neighbor are you? And I want to look at two ver- two pieces of scripture, and then we're gonna we're just gonna take time and worship God. But these two pieces of scripture so incredible. We know. What real love is. John writes in 1 John. We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus gave up his life for me. For you. We know what real love is. That that's what real love is. That sacrifice means willing to give up your own life for someone. You know greater love is this. John 15. Greater love is this. That one would give up his own life for his friends. We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So we ought to. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Ouch. Ouch priest that walked by, the Levite that walked by. How could God's love be in that person, John asked. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's not just say we love each other. This, you could say, let's show the truth. Let us show our love by our actions. And we know what love is that Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters, for our neighbors. James then writes these words. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? What good is it if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? What good is it if you say you love, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? It's basically surface level. It's meaningless. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, have a great day. Goodbye, see ya. Have a great day. Stay warm and eat well. They have no food. They have no money. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good, what good does that do? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. 
unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. We're saved by grace. We're saved by Jesus. But a byproduct of our salvation, of our faith in Jesus, is to do good deeds, to love others because God loves you. What kind of neighbor am I? What kind of neighbor am I? Am I like the priest who's too busy? Dare I say too religious to care for others? Or am I like the Samaritan, the normal guy, ordinary person, seeing a need, feeling compassion, and loving because I'm called to love others. What kind of neighbor am I? And I pray that I don't need a big uh, softball type story to be a neighbor, but that I'm faithful to be a neighbor in the little things. Love should not be limited by worth, but based on need. Love is demonstrated in our actions. Love may be costly. Our love for others demonstrates our relationship with God. Church, what kind of neighbor are you? Would you stand with me as we close in prayer and then just take a moment in worship. Father, thank you this morning for this parable. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this expert in the law who was determined to test Jesus and to trap Him by finding out how we receive eternal, eternal life and then who is my neighbor to see the story that you re- replied to it that says that it's not about who is my neighbor. It's who am I being a neighbor to? Who am I loving and caring for? Because I love you. How do I love others like you love me? Father, help us to live out love. Help us to love our brothers and our sisters. Help us to show compassion and care. Help us to love the way the Good Samaritan loved the man laying dead on the road. Even though it may cost us, help us to love. Father, I pray that you would continue to stir in our hearts the hunger and the passion and the excitement to reach the lost world, to show them love, the love that you have for them as we love our neighbors, all people. Father, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.